You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Hi, welcome back to Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, with our weekly roundup of the news, Just Ask the Press. And as always with us, former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. This week in our uh, <laughs> Things to Unpack, the uh, the latest in the Middle East and the measured response of President uh, Biden. D.C.'s Trump trial is postponed. Uh, what's the effect of that on, on, on the outcome of all the other cases against Donald Trump? Chuck Schumer wants an immigration vote next week. There is a deflection defense, of course, underway in the Republican Party by calling Biden a potty mouth and the Swifty controversy two issues that aren't issues in politics, and we'll take a look at that. And then finally, our Super Bowl predictions for the coming week. Yes, you're going to want to stick around for that. Anyway, I'm Brian Karen. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, we'll unpack all of it. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, Just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not released anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash J-A-T-Q podcast. Hey, Just Ask the Question podcast listeners. If you've got a second, head on over to Twitter and follow our official page, JATQ Podcast. That's JATQ Podcast. In this modern age of misinformation and deceit, just Ask the Questions newsletter cuts through the BS and gets to the truth. With Brian's in-depth articles, columns, and exclusive content not found anywhere else. Get the scoop and stay in the know. Sign up for the Just Ask the Question newsletter now at substack.com slash JATQ podcast. Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karen, with our weekly uh, wrap-up of the news, Just Ask the Press, with former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John T. Bennett. Michael and uh, and John, good to see you guys again. Good it's to see all you your, too, Brian. It's all, it's all your fault again, Michael. That's, that's I've been told. It's anyway... <laughs> We're gonna, you got to get more sleep at night. So uh, the, we're going to start out with the the big, I guess, the big thing this week. The Houthis fire at us. We fire at the Houthis. We go after the Iran uh, proxies. I, the question I'd like to ask, John, if I were sitting in the uh, White House briefing room is, um, they shoot at us, we shoot back at them. What do you call that? And at what point in time do you seek congressional approval for your actions? I don't think we've been completely honest with the American people in that briefing room about what's going on with the U.S. and the Middle East. John. Yeah, I think right now you call that an armed conflict. <laughs> um, you don't use the W word, war. Um, and um, President Biden is following a time-honored tradition of not uh, seeking congressional approval 
for the strikes against the Houthis. Uh, the argument from John Kirby and other national security officials is uh, they don't need it. And you've got congressional hawks like Lindsey Graham. Uh, this morning we're taping here on Sunday, uh, February 4th. Lindsey Graham was on uh, one of the Sunday shows. And, you know, he's a hawk. He's been on armed services and foreign relations and the Intel Committee, I believe, and judiciary, importantly, he's the ranking member. Um, and he said the president does not need to come to Congress, that this is covered. And what John Kirby, Jake Sullivan, and others say is uh, this is an Article II situation. Article II of the Constitution gives the presidency the power to defend the country, um, and that includes strikes like this. Um, I may or may not have written a master's thesis on presidential <laughs> war powers, and I can tell you I actually did some research. Michael looks shocked to hear that. Um, I actually did some research and found out that the Supreme Court time and time and time and time again has sided with presidents from both parties that they do have cover uh, under Article 2 uh, to defend the country and, and have sided with the presidency when it's been challenged for these kinds of strikes. So, you know, they're not going to do an AUMF, an authorization of the use of military force specifically for the Houthis or these other Iranian militias. And if you want to bring in the other strikes, the retaliatory strikes against um, these militias in Syria and Iraq and elsewhere, you don't, he, Biden doesn't need that now because the militias killed uh, U.S. military troops. So the troops were attacked um, and that is covered by the Constitution. He is the commander in chief of the military, right. and he has the right to defend uh, the military. And what would what would what would escalate at the point where you'd have to go to Congress? If he wanted to, I believe he would need to go to Congress if he wanted to strike inside Iraq, and that's not necessarily that's not a completely legal assessment. I think politically, political, yeah, it's more political that he and he wouldn't want that completely, even though it would be mostly. Um, as as former D.C. Um, sports radio host Steve Zabin would say, he doesn't want it completely just on his bill yeah. when the waiter comes. He wants Congress to split it with him. Now, it wouldn't be they, – they're not chopping this thing down the middle. Uh, but he I, wants And I'm sure he'd want to have, like all the other presidents before him, a coalition of right. participating and, nations. Yeah, so this would be a long, drawn-out thing. But he would want Congress to have some ownership if he had to strike inside Iran. And yes, you want the coalition of the willing, and that that would take almost as long probably um, than getting anything through the House. And once again, I think the House would be uh, the long pole in the tent. Uh, senators would would probably go along with this. You'd probably get, you know, seventy to seventy five votes in the Senate, but the House, who knows? Such a wild card these days. Michael, do you think he should go to the uh, Congress and ask for permission? Well, I don't think he has to, as John's thesis, which I read last night, was um, really um, laying laying out. It was a page turner. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the power of the uh, president to engage in these types of actions seem to be, you know, clearly articulated in law. And if you had to go to Congress before you could act, this way, nothing would ever get done because Congress doesn't act. Right, and so right. it has. It ha this has to be 
And yet but, there are plenty of people screaming that he should. Right. Well, fair enough. But just because you know, they I, don't I, so, like him. But that. Well, but I mean, I think that in our lifetimes, there hasn't been. I mean, Vietnam War should have been a declared war. I would think a country to country war, you know, national government against national government sort of war. Um Korea was a war, obviously the world not a wars, police wars, action war wars, right. Um but these are, you know, these retaliatory strikes I think has to fall within the uh powers of the president to act quickly and, you know, did we not seek war um, powers when we invaded Iraq under H.W. Bush. Mm -hmm. That was a war, right? So I think you can see the line between what is, you know, sort of technically a war that requires congressional approval and those which are sort of police or military um, responses. And I think we fall on the Biden's within his authority to do it. Clinton was in his authority to the bomb when he bombed, Trump bombed, uh, everyone bombs um, uh, in, <laughs> around. I mean, there is, I can't think of a president that didn't bomb, bomb something. somebody. I don't, maybe did Carter not bomb, bomb somebody? <laughs> but that's, I, that's yeah. Right, look, then, wait a minute, John, before you jump in, I, yeah. I, here's the question I want to add to it. So this week, the measured response that Biden gave. You think he was also sending a message to Israel going, you don't have to blow them off the face of the planet. You don't have to engage in, in you know, utter destruction. We can have a measured response. Do you think that message landed anywhere, John? I certainly didn't land in Tel Aviv. I mean, I <laughs> I yesterday saw a, a, a video report. Um, I don't know if it was the New York Times or someone else. Um, got reporters with video equipment, and there's the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, the Israeli Defense Force. They're doing controlled detonations of what buildings are left in Gaza. So no, I, if if Biden's trying to send some kind of, you know, inception-like message, I don't think it's landing. And and we got to go back to our friend Bill Shine, who used to tell us, Brian, I think you're giving us a little too much credit. Yeah. I don't think. I don't I, I don't I don't think in the situation room that 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 Joe or Secretary Austin or or whoever else is saying, well, let's show let's show Netanyahu how to do this. That genie was out of the bottle months Long ago. Long ago. You had months something else ago. you wanted to add, by the way, before. I Yeah. Asked. And, you know, look at President Obama. Um, he never got an AUMF, a congressional approval for his uh, drone strike campaign. Uh, all across the Middle East, North Africa, um, you know, there was there weren't many places he didn't use uh, drone strikes. And they pointed to Article 2 and the 2001 AUMF uh, that was very broadly written after 9-11. Um, it was broadly written because there still wasn't, when, when Congress passed it, and they, they did pass it relatively quickly, very quickly for Congress, they wrote it broad to give George W. Bush and and presidents after him enough authority to wage what folks thought would be a different kind of war against al-qaeda and associate as, associated forces and that's really in the 2001 aumf it's a rubber band as a guy i know wrote in the thesis and you can 
And presidents <laughs> That's have. That's a thesis Michael read, read last night. <laughs> and all three presidents since then, I guess four now, have used um, have used the 2001 AUMF because of those words, associated forces, because ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Islamic Jihad, they're all somehow kind of related. Uh, they've worked together. You know, one meeting was used to, to, to help justify the, the Iraq war um, because a, 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 Baath, a Baathist government, a Saddam Hussein government official, allegedly met with an Al-Qaeda somewhat leader and boom associated forces so um it's very it was it was un, it's an unintended consequence that that was it, it, there was a reason it was so broadly written but it's allowed four presidents now to use it for all kinds of things there you go and it's from uh the the battlefield to the courtroom <laughs> the uh dc trump's uh trial was postponed this week um while they await the decision on immunity. And I would ask the stupid question, oh, gee, what's what's the outcome of that, Michael? So in the federal cases, and really in the Georgia case, Trump has asserted presidential immunity. And until that is decided, courts don't really want to go forward with a trial to only find out mid-trial or post-trial, that his argument that he's immune was correct, because then they've wasted all this this time uh, prosecuting someone who the court, the Supreme Court or the Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia has said, you can't try. He, yes, is correct that former presidents have absolute immunity and can't be tried. Like it or not, that's the, the law. Uh, and um, so they don't want to have a trial and have that court decision interfere with the outcome, just a waste of time. So they're all saying, well, let's see uh, what the court says. And everyone is hoping that the D.C. Court of Appeals, <clears throat> which has heard the immunity case, and we all remember that argument where Trump's lawyer said, unless he is <clears throat> impeached and convicted, he cannot be tried in a criminal court even if he sends the SEAL team out to kill his um, political opponent. That was the nature of the argument in, in its extreme. So the court said, well, let's just wait on that. And everyone is hoping that the D.C. Court of Appeals will issue its decision. Uh, they said they would do it expeditiously. Uh, it's been three plus weeks and there's no decision. And, you know... Why is we don't that? know what to we don't know what to read into that, whether it means that they're really writing, um, uh, you know, full uh, uh, criticized proof decision or whether um, there's a split among the three judges and they're trying to figure out how to get a unanimous decision. You know, you have two judges appointed by a Democrat, one appointed by a Republican. Maybe they have a difference among the three of them. So it, you, you don't who know. Oh, who, 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 can H.W. You yeah. and, um, and, uh, and Biden, I believe. I think those are the two of Bidens yeah. and one is H.W.'s. Um, so everyone is speculating uh, about why it is delayed. It's sort of a pointless exercise, but it's delayed until they get that decision. And, you know, that decision, when it comes will certainly be 
appealed by Trump if he loses. And so those trials could still be postponed further pending uh, a decision whether to hear the case by the D.C. Court of Appeals in bonk, meaning all the judges, a rehearing at that level, or the Supreme Court. Um, so we just don't know what this means. The trial judge could say, look, you know, the D.C. Court of Appeals decision, in my view, is pretty solid. I'm going to schedule this down for trial and I'll take my chances that the Supreme Court um, reverses, which could make a lot of sense. And we've had a lot of cases that go forward. Enron went forward. Uh, the Arthur Anderson case went forward to trial. There was a conviction obtained and then the Supreme Court reversed nine to nothing that the theory of the prosecution was untenable and the conviction got uh, reversed. So it's very possible that the, that the Judge Chutkin uh, trial will go forward once there's an immunity decision if it holds that Trump is not immune from prosecution. But, Brian, the interesting thing about the delay in the federal cases, and we can talk about Georgia in a, in a minute and what that yeah. you know brouhaha is about, Yeah. but if all those cases are on hold, then you've got the Manhattan District Attorney case, the hush money case, where Donald Trump has been indicted for uh, business fraud in respect to how he treated the hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. And that now me, may be the case that goes first. He, Bragg, may, the district attorney, may have a clear lane to a trial. And that trial date, I think, is end of March or, or, or early May or something. It's, it's soon. And um, so that may be the first case. And people have said about that case, well, you know, it's the weakest of the cases because it depends on um, Michael Cohen in large measure and the fellow whose name I can never remember, who is the National Enquirer, Peck, Pecker, what's his name? Yeah, David Pecker. David Pecker. Um, but I only remember that name for what, yeah, I know. John's shaking his, go ahead, Michael, I'm sorry. Just just leave it there, bro. Yes, just just leave leave it, right, there. just leave it. Um, <laughs> but the, the thing that is interesting about that case uh, is yeah. now there was a, a story in the, in the New York Times, I believe, which said that the CFO of the Trump organization, Alan Weisselberg, the guy who spent some six months in Rikers Island prison for uh, crimes connected to taxes and the Trump organization, testified in Letitia James' case, the New York civil fraud case. Um, and now, according to the Times, is in negotiations with the prosecutors about his pleading guilty to perjury, lying in his testimony in in that case. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't have a decision in the case. Remember that judge said he right. would make a decision at the end of the month in that Letitia James case. But Judge Angoron, the judge in that case, seems to be saying, wait a second, I got to figure out what's going on here. If I have a witness who's admitted to perjuring himself in the middle of the trial, I got to take account of that testimony now, because maybe I was giving it a little bit of credit um, in my, you know, in my in my determinations, and now all of a sudden I can't give it any credit, um, and I have to, you know, rethink it. So, and the credit he's a long, it's a very him, long answer, but, but but the credit he would have given him would be towards would be helpful to Donald, right? Yeah. So so all of this rambling says a couple of things. One is Bragg may go first. 
Bragg may have now the possibility of Weisselberg as a witness affirmatively, or if Weisselberg were to testify in Trump's favor in that um, Stormy Daniels case, his credibility as a witness is, is undermined because right. he's now convicted of tax and convicted of perjury. You know, so he's he's no stronger a witness now than Michael Cohen. So you got two two doozies of yes. of, of, of of witness. And um it also could mean that only the best people. It it empowers and Goron to um make further findings against Trump in uh respect to the damages that he'll have to pay in in, in that case. So that's all you know so the so now take the immunity me down to decision Georgia. no as I say so the immunity decision oh. has you know ripple effects it's a you know it's a it's a rock in a pond and you're seeing all these ripples and the ripples um now are apparent in both um the Letitia James case and the um and the Bragg case and realistically where would you I mean if you were going to guess when do you think we'd get a decision on the immunity Yesterday, I have no idea, Brian. I mean, it's yeah. just you just don't know. Um, I, I just hope the reason is is that they're dotting I's and crossing T's that they're not uh, in conflict among the three of them. Because the worst thing um, from a time management standpoint is a split decision in the in the court of appeals. Because then it's definitely going this to a higher court. court. Yeah. yeah. Maybe and, they're just you know, trying. To, if we could all hope they're just trying to write it so it won't even be picked up by the Supreme Court. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's a possibility. Now, Fannie Willis. Yeah. And um, her case. Yes. There are a couple of things to think about. It one is, what were you thinking? You know how 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 what sort of judgment? I know. You know right. Did you exercise um, in in having that relationship? once the um opportunity presented itself and but uh it seems like the affair started mid sort of trial prep not she didn't hire her boyfriend right uh, she hired a lawyer and then he turns he turns into her boyfriend yeah and so that but that's a big difference yes you know, it one is, is you know, a nepotistic um higher and one is just the way things sometimes work in a work environment where people are working 20 hours a week and spending so much time and she's single and and he was in the middle of a divorce so that that you know that happens it happens a lot and it shouldn't have any bearing on the the case from a standpoint of it's not going to get the case dismissed uh there are two questions that I don't know the answer to one is if Fannie Willis said, you know what, in the interest of something, you know, sort of appearances, I'm going to step aside, whether that means her whole office has to step aside and then you go back to square one and you need to find somebody new to prosecute. Remember, there was a there was one of the defendants in the Georgia case among those 14 defendants who she held a Fannie Willis held a fundraiser for uh, his opponent. And the court said, you cannot prosecute him. Your your office, your right. office is disqualified. And now they have to find somebody else to prosecute. So if if the court rules or she decides that she's going to step aside, does that mean the whole office has to step aside? Which means this case is at square one 
and it won't go to trial for a very long time. If she says, I am not going to step aside, I don't have to, and the court agrees with her, does the lawyer, the 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 boyfriend, Special step aside? Yeah. Right. And I think he should. I think he should. I don't think he's the I don't think he's the lead guy in what will be the trial team. I think there are people who will try the case and he's not one of them. I think he's more a quarterback of the whole process. But were I in his situation or were I in Fanny Willis's situation, I'd ask him to step aside. Because it makes it makes for a much cleaner look. It uh, yeah, and that's what we're talking about here, right? It's it's politics. Yes, it's not right. It's not the merits of whether it has to um, be done as a legal matter, but rather, what does it look like? And John, that's where we 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 know where it's going to look, what it's going to look like, at least for Donald. We do. I, I think that this does have the effect of helping him, at least timing wise, politically, and you know, with with the hush money case. Um, looking like it will go first i think that 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 helps his strategy of of as always desensitizing everyone to everything um because it is as michael said considered the weakest uh of the cases so you know trump then gets to say on social media television interviews coming outside the courtroom uh, campaign rallies, uh, you know, everywhere he talks um, that this is all in his word that he and he uses this word a lot now. Bullshit. Yeah, it's bullshit. Uh, it's witch hunt. Yeah, and and so this one going first. We right. We talked about it here way back when that this is um, kind of the nightmare scenario for Democrats. If if the hush money case goes first, and and it looks like they're walking right into it. Um, and, and, you know, Trump's going to try to delay, 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 uh, to, to get these trials maybe after the election and, and maybe, maybe he's at least been elected again, if not sworn in, uh, and then, you know, there will be a lot of pressure, um, for these cases to be dropped if he is the president elect. And that's the strategy. I mean, it's, he doesn't come out and say it, but in so many words, of you know, course he, that's he, his strategy. Yeah, that's the strategy. Now, Georgia, <laughs> Georgia is the problem. Georgia is the problem because that's the criminal state charges. But if he can get that pushed off long enough, or not to a conclusion, and he's the president-elect, there will be a lot of pressure on Miss Willis to drop the case. And on that wonderful thought, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, well, we have a lot more, including the immigration vote that Schumer wants next week. So stick around. This is Just Ask the Press. We'll be right back. Hey, you. Yeah, you. We're talking to you, and we need your help. As you probably know, Independent journalism is a vital pillar of our democracy. Like everything else, it's not free. We're asking all longtime listeners of the show to help support us by becoming a member on Patreon. For the price of a latte, you can help guard democracy. Join us today at patreon.com slash JATQ podcast to help us keep bringing you the podcast you love and the facts you deserve.
Hi, we are back. It is Just Ask the Question, our weekly show, Just Ask the Press, with former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin and editor-at-large from CQ Roll Call, John Bennett. John, when we left, we were talking about Fannie Willis, and now we're talking about Chuck Schumer. He wants to uh, a vote on the immigration bill next week. Now, mind you, when the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has gotten up and he said, you know, immigration is the most important issue. We have to. It's an emergency, but we're not going to solve it right away. It's all about politics, isn't it, brother? It's all about politics, 100 uh, percent. I was on the Hill this week <clears throat> and um, uh, King Jeffries, the the House Democratic leader, took over for Nancy Pelosi in that role. Um, he was somewhat uh, perplexed and understandably at his weekly press conference saying that, you know, for years now, uh, Republicans have, as he said, lectured the American people about a crisis at the border. And and I mean, just look at the the apprehension and and um, border crossing rates, uh, I believe it was factcheck.org um, late last week, put out um, some statistics and it's it's almost 300 percent increases in, in apprehensions at the border. So. Even Democrats say this is a crisis. Jeffrey says, you know, the, the White House and, and Senate Republicans and Senate Democrats are negotiating something. And House Republicans have lectured everyone for years and now they won't come negotiate. And, you know, he says they're they're against the process that's playing out that they were for just a few months ago. So it is frustrating for everyone else involved on the Hill and, and the White House uh, right now because Speaker Johnson says they won't put what we think we might get as soon as today um, is whatever Senate bill, and this is a broader national security spending bill, Taiwan, Ukraine, Israel, and there's a border package. Um, so we might get that text today, but Johnson says not going to put that on the floor. And this is very frustrating uh, for everyone else, but this is all, there's an election. That, that's it's the all about line. Donald Trump. Donald yeah. Trump has told them not yeah. to push the issue because he wants, he wants to run yeah. on it. And, that, and he wants to get elected on it, and then he wants to pretend like he solved it. But the problem is that you can't tell me in one ear that it's an emergency and in the other ear tell me, but well, we're going to wait a year to solve it. That just doesn't seem to fly very well with the American well, public. Or is it just we'll me? We'll, well, it's not just you because you're applying logic to the situation. Uh, <laughs> and oh, so that's I'm, a minority of people. We're, we're screwed. If you look at polling, and that, again, that's all we have to really go on, um, voters still trust Trump and Republicans on the issue of immigration, despite blocking uh, this bill that could be out as soon as today. They still trust them, and it's not that close in most polls. So it should, it should bite Republicans in the backside in November, but I just don't see evidence that it will. Michael? <laughs> you know, know I, right you know like what the but <laughs> the i mean the reality is if the house can meet the senate at, at some point and pass a comprehensive immigration bill and we can then deal with israel and taiwan and Ukraine and whoever else they want to prop up um, 
funding, then that should be what happens. I mean, it's been 40 or 50 years that we've been talking about 40. an immigration solution, and they seem to be on the brink of it with um, to, hit, to, the, to the credit of the Senate, you know, with Langford in o Oklahoma and um, others, you know, sort of reaching consensus. And you'd think that everyone would want to take credit. This is a Congress who you can count on a hand or a finger of things that they've accomplished. I mean, the biggest thing that they can say that they've accomplished is well, we didn't shut down the government. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's we kept the lights on. That's, yeah, that's, we swatted flies. Anything. Right, right. The, the the we didn't do anything, but we didn't shut it down. That's yeah. not really. I would think that these guys would want to run on something. They have this tax bill that you know was recently. I don't know was it passed or is it pending that has extending childcare tax credits and that that's good. So they have one thing potentially. You'd think this Congress, if I'm a congressman and I'm gonna be running for re-election and someone's gonna ask me in a town hall, so what'd you accomplish? What was your batting average? What was your completion um percentage? You'd wanna think I could say, well, you know, for the first time in 40 years we passed comprehensive immigration uh legislation and I think that's a portent of the way we can work going forward, if only you'll reelect me. You'd think that that's what they'd want to say, as opposed to, well, we kept the lights on. We're not doing anything <laughs> but the lights. God damn it, the lights are on. And I don't in which I... case, in which case, if you're the guy in the town hall, you might say, well, if you're not doing anything, why don't you just shut off the damn lights so we could save some money on, yeah, right. on electricity bills? You know, that's, well, that's I, like I, I get, I get, I get blown away by a couple of things that seem so idiotic about this whole issue. The South Carolina governor, I mean, I'm South Dakota governor, Noemes, right? She's riding in a grass boat on the, on the Rio Grande going, I am in a war zone and I've been to war zones and being in a grass boat on the Rio Grande doesn't qualify as a war zone. And what is she doing in South, all the 24 governors that have come down for their press conferences to support Texas in the immigration battle, baffle me with the stupidity there and finally i'll say this in 1985 i'm reading the the biden uh communiques to the press where they talk about the broken border this is a broken border and we have to work together to fix it in 1985 i produced a 10-part series called across the broken border 40 years ago and nothing has changed it's no worse than it was it's the same and the last time the Republicans and Democrats got together for bipartisan legislation and did something on the border was in 1985 with the Simpson-Mazzoli Act, which made it illegal for large companies to hire illegal immigrants. And no one's ever been prosecuted for it. So that's how they use that bill. Just ahead, quickly, John. Brian, because we're all about fairness here on this here podcast. Congress did something this week, um, okay. and it was very bipartisan. The House passed a tax cut bill. Oh, yes. It got, it got over 300 votes on the House floor. So that's an example of election year politics. It ex it would extend the child tax credit. It has some um, other reductions, including some 
and this would make it might make it tough in the Senate. It has some corporate uh, tax cuts as well. The theory there being that companies would pass on their tax savings um, to the consumer. That doesn't always happen, of course. So uh, the House did something very bipartisan. Just to be fair, we we are we are understandably critical. Uh, but I just wanted to point out that they did get together and they wrote a, a, a pretty comprehensive tax bill. We'll see if it even gets a vote in the Senate. Yeah, there, that would be interesting. And on, while we're talking about the wonderful things going on in Congress, and uh, let's talk about deflection. Um, I, I hesitate to mention some of these things because they infuriate me so much and they do deflect from the real problems that we have in this world. But you've got uh, uh, this week Donald Trump <laughs> – called Biden, of all things, a potty mouth, because uh, Biden in um, private is apparently called Trump what most of us have called him in public, using the F word. And uh, at the same time, you've got Republicans are upset because, you know, uh, the Swifties and the suit, and that'll lead us into our Super Bowl predictions, but uh, are they're upset because Taylor Swift is is everywhere and is uh, uh, usurping. They, they, well, they claim they've got Kid Rock while the uh, liberals have Taylor Swift. I'm just so sick of all of it. It just seems like a complete, <laughs> I just don't care. I just I don't care. I mean, is it me? <laughs> it's not just you, Brian. I would, pr I would rather spend this week talking about can the Kansas City receivers continue, which they didn't do all season, um, catching the ball, right? Can they catch the ball, which they've done in the playoffs? And can the 49ers defense slow down the Chiefs offense enough to win the game? But that is not what we're going to talk about this week. We're going to talk about somehow the NFL, Taylor Swift, and the Biden campaign um, getting together in some kind of four dimensional conspiracy to help for the president to get reelected in sort of a long con. That's what we're going to talk about. Well, that's because they've been conned by Donald Trump, so they see con everywhere. Um, that's but, right. the, you know, the thing is, is honest to God, I, I heard someone, I, one of the guys who calls himself an alpha male, I don't remember which one it is, you know, one of those guys, claiming that, um, you know, she's not that much to look at anyway. And I'm going, she looks like every anchor on Fox. The only reason why you don't, like her is because she doesn't like the same things you like and michael i could tell you're just chomping at the bit to give us your, your read on it but it, it just drives me I, nuts i am honestly completely flummoxed by this taylor swift controversy i can't for the life of me figure out what is the big deal she's a a, a talented singer who has engaged in society beyond just her concerts. She is entitled to engage in our uh, discourse. And I don't understand why people think that this is some right-wing conspiracy to do this or that. I mean, it just, I just don't, I just well, don't get it. left-wing conspiracy. I guess the right-wing conspiracy theorists are conspiring to believe that the left-wing is conspiring to do something with Taylor Swift to get uh, Biden reelected. Who's a potty no, no, but, mouth, but, but 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 the 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 liberals, if you yeah. will, I don't know that the far left has any involved with with this. But the, if the liberals think, well, it would be good for our candidate to receive the endorsement of 
perhaps one of the most popular people on planet Earth at the moment. That's what you do all the time. If they could get Patrick Mahomes to in endorse your candidate or anybody else uh, who's popular and may bring people with them. Well, if Taylor Swift supports my candidate, then I should support my, you know, or if I'm in. Yeah. But so that's just normal stuff. That's just seeking endorsements. Um, but the other side, they they seem to think that there's some conspiracy here to rig rig something or undermine democracy or something. I just can't figure out the hell is it that they're talking about. <laughs> they're talking about we're just talking about one side wants an endorsement. <laughs> that's that's what everybody. That's what every side wants. Yeah. But they don't seem to see it in those terms. They see it in some broader conspiracy. And I and someone needs to explain it to me because I just don't get it. <laughs> well, look, you're employing logic, and there is no logic in this movement. I I mean, this is a cult. This is the cult of Trump. I honestly. But what, are they, think... but what is what besides the fact that one side wants their candidate to be endorsed, and the other side fears that endorsement what is it that's different about this than than everybody i mean the, the, than any other uh endorsement by any other group that might have sway with with voters like the like the auto because workers. it's a conspiracy tied to the nfl to make biden look good so that he'll get an endorsement from taylor swift so let me see. So the so the owners of the NFL yeah. team, most of whom are what? Again, yeah. you're trying logic here. <laughs> Who are politically what? Jerry Jones is what? He's a he's a, a left wing yeah, zealot, and Robert Kraft is a what? You know, I mean, they're those Hippie, those socialists. Guys, yeah, those guys. Those guys are those guys. somehow conspiring through <laughs> Travis. Well, they can, they they, they consorted their runestones. So <laughs> they were in the actually. The, I I don't. I just I cannot understand. I mean, I just can't understand it. Even I understand where they how they get there, but there's no logic or facts involved in it, <laughs> right, John? Um, I, I mean, it's... yeah. I I should have shared this with you guys earlier in the week. Um, a conservative columnist for the New York Times, and they do have a few, and he's one of my favorite writers, and I'm going to apologize. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Ross Dalfat, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. Apologies to Ross uh, on his last name there. He wrote a very good column about this for the Times, and he lays out how the right has become so addicted to conspiracy theory that if anything happens that is on the other side or, or, you know, Taylor Swift leans left politically. So it must be a liberal op. They're calling this a, a, a psychological operation. And he walks through how that happened to the Republic, to his party. Um, he's not really a registered Republican anymore, but he's still a conservative. And he walks through in the column. It's very good. I'll share it with you guys. Everybody should look it up in the New York Times. Um, and I thought that was the smartest, if you can write smart about this particular. About dumb people. Um, yeah. Well, he, I it, thought he did a very nice job. I don't so think. So I'm sorry. Say it, say it one more time, John. What is, what is the, 
the basic proposition that he's he's saying this controversy? It's a psyop. Everything is is a look, and that's not new either. I mean, that's if you go back to Waco, if you go back, the seeds of this stuff all are in Waco, Ruby Ridge, when right. when all of those it became very popular and this is something i've written about often i don't i don't not only they see everything as a psyop they see everything deep state everything's right. out to get them right. right and ever and if it's outside of your comfort zone if you can't explain it inside your comfort zone it doesn't make sense that why would taylor swift she's a good god-fearing american woman why would she with with a with a tied in why would she be for uh joe biden it must be a psyop because you would think that you, and you look at them, right? I'm sorry, but uh, you know, two very not tan people getting together, not being for Donald Trump, doesn't make sense in that world. Right. So Let, they explain yeah. it with a psyop. Everything is, I, I mean, f just from covering them, that that's just how they tend to naturally think. So go ahead. Last last comment before we go on yeah, to our picks for the. Yeah, let me read the kicker of Ross's uh, column here. Uh, quote, that is what the Trump era right has conspicuously failed to achieve, and it won't get there as long as it sees even cultural developments it should welcome, romances that it should be rooting for, and shakes its head and says it must be a liberal op, end quote. And the that that he's referring to is appearing to be the normal party. And of course, Ross, being a conservative, looks at the progressive left and thinks that they're very abnormal. But he makes the point that the, because the right has become so addicted to these conspiracy theories and looks at everything that is different than conservatism and thinks it's a psyop, that it has become the more abnormal of the two parties. It well, makes that no makes sense. sense. <laughs> Makes right. no sense. So, it does, it makes before we take off, let's let's go over. I I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the Super Bowl. It's a week out. This will post. You can you can be a, an official prognosticator today, and I'll 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 let you go first, Michael. Who do you like, and wh what's your points? San Francisco because of Brock Purdy. The, and how many the, points? The, I think it'll be a close game. Three points. I I think that. Um, You've got to love the story of the last guy uh, in the draft who, you know, sort of in storybook, if it were a movie, unbelievable um, narrative, takes his team and wins the Super Bowl. You can't not like that. Well, it's a conspiracy. <laughs> and and then and then of course, in at the end of the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy there holding the trophy. And instead of saying, and I'm going to Disneyland, he says, and I endorse Joe Biden. That's <laughs> with Taylor Swift at his side. That that's 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 what I'm looking for. Then you'll you'll hear brains exploding um all over the country. That would be that would be a great that would be a great show. That's uh, Michael Michael Selkin's prediction for the Super Bowl, including exploding heads. Now moving on to John T. Bennett. We got anything that's going to explode, John, in your predictions? 
hopefully nothing explodes. Hopefully just some uh, fireworks on the field, Brian. We've got we. I I am going to take Kansas City here. Um, I'm going to take Kansas City 28-23, and I'm picking or I've KC by five, and I just don't think that San Francisco defense is as good as we've been sold all year. I don't like their front. I I would not have acquired Chase Young. Uh, he's he's not that strong against the run. I think you can move the ball, and I just don't think uh, Brock Purdy. Um, you know he's had some great second halves in the playoffs, but he has started very poorly. I think San Francisco digs itself a hole, and they never get out of it. KC 28-23. And I'm going to go with KC by seven, and I'm going to predict that there will be a controversy at the end of the game as to whether or not they'll give the most valuable player award to Brock Purdy. I'm going to say that he'll play his ass off, but I don't think the 49ers defense will be able to contain Patrick Mahomes, and I think it'll be uh, KC. And I'm saying this because, and and as a Packers fan, I want to remind everyone that the Packers beat both of these teams in the regular season. So, haha. Anyway, so whoever wins, I, I'll, but I like Kansas City having lived there. So I'll go KC plus seven. All right, and there you go. That uh, that that's it. So, uh, uh, any last thoughts? What would you like to plug, uh, Michael? So again, my podcast is That Said with Michael Zeldin. And since we're on a sporting theme, I should say that two weeks out, my podcast interview with uh, Hall of Fame sports writer Dave Kindred uh, on his new book, My Home Team, comes out. In between, uh, we have um, a couple of interesting books, one on Ulysses S. Grant's Decimation of the Ku Klux Klan, important reading in Black History Month that we're in, and also in Black History Month, next Thursday, my book called Invisible Generals comes out with Doug Melville, which is about the two first African-American generals in U.S. military history. Wow. I look forward to that. John, you're shot. What you want to plug, brother? Well, yeah, big week on big week on the Hill. Uh, we could have a vote on the Senate uh, supplemental this week. Uh, could be next week, but uh, Chuck Schumer wants to to try to get this passed this week. So you can follow along at rollcall.com and uh, plenty of policy analysis at CQ.com for my colleagues. If you don't have a CQ subscription, uh, now's a good time to get one. There you go. CQ subscription coming up next on America's Most Wanted. <laughs> the name of this show is called just ask the question it's our weekly roundup of the news just ask the press you can catch us wherever fine podcasts are sold once again want to thank our listeners for making us number two in independent presidential podcasts you know that talk about the president so i want to thank everybody for that the name of the book is called free the press and you can catch me every week in salon uh on thursdays with a column so thanks for joining us just ask the press we'll catch you next time